Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on April 2nd, 2017, on the basis of Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 19. What could possibly be better than being good friends with Jesus? That's what makes that miracle that we heard about in today's gospel a little bit unique. You see, this man who needed healing from Jesus, this man named Lazarus, he wasn't simply some stranger who had traveled from miles and miles away because he thought maybe Jesus could possibly help. He wasn't some nameless, faceless stranger stranded on the side of the road crying out for help as Jesus happened to pass by. No, on several occasions in John's account of that event, he tells us that Jesus loved Lazarus. And when he says that, he he doesn't just use the general word for love that describes Jesus' attitude toward, toward anyone and everyone. He uses the very specific word that describes when two people have a very special bond, that they have a very special affinity for one another. Simply put, Lazarus and Jesus were friends. And from what we read in, in the rest of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, it seems that they were pretty good friends at that. And that's maybe what had caused that thought to pop into seemingly everyone's mind as they mourned the loss of Lazarus. If only Jesus had been here. If only Jesus had been here. You see, when it came to this one specific man, this one specific situation, not only was there no doubt about what Jesus could do, but there also was absolutely no doubt about what Jesus would do. Surely, of all the people that Jesus had healed, certainly he would heal this man who was his close friend. What could possibly be better than being a close friend of Jesus? Has that thought ever crossed your mind? Maybe you're the one who is grieving the loss of a loved one who who seems to have been taken too soon. Maybe there's a a relationship in your life that was incredibly important and meaningful to you and, and all of a sudden it's been damaged really beyond repair. Maybe your hopes and dreams of of getting certain grades or making a certain team or getting into a certain school or getting a certain job have all come to a very definitive dead end. And part of what makes those situations a little bit difficult is that I'm sure in the back of our minds somewhere we're thinking exactly what what the people were thinking that day. That being a, a friend of Jesus surely should and and probably will come with some perks, right? And so on the one hand, we we look around at the people around us and see people who could probably rightly be be described as enemies of Jesus, people who oppose him, people who actually make a mockery of him and his word, and it, it seems as though Jesus is there for them, so why wasn't he there for us, his friend? Or maybe we look at other people and, and we come to the conclusion, well, Maybe I am a friend of Jesus, but apparently not a good enough friend. As I look at other people, it seems like their relationship with Jesus is a little bit better. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's something I'm doing wrong or need to do better. Maybe my relationship with Jesus needs a little bit of work. All of that based on this idea that being friends with Jesus surely will come with a few perks, right? What could be better than than being a good, close friend of Jesus? 
Well, in the words that we're looking at from Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul tells us. I mentioned a couple weeks ago how one of the big things that Paul addresses in his letter to the Romans is that you had this group of people who had relatively recently come out of a completely pagan lifestyle. They had gone from worshiping all kinds of false gods and living a very immoral lifestyle to now worshiping the true God, trusting Jesus for their salvation, striving to follow God's law with their lives, and yet many of the very same problems, many of the very same struggles and hardships that existed before still existed now. Paul's discussion of that whole topic in the book of Romans really comes to a head and a high point in Romans chapter 8, the chapter that's in front of us today. And in these verses, Paul's message is very simple and clear. That when we struggle, when we suffer, we ought not think that being good friends with Jesus ought to come with some perks. And that's not because it's a, a wrong idea, a bad idea, a misguided idea. But rather, it's because we have been given a relationship with Jesus that is even better than being best friends. As Paul describes that relationship in these verses, he makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for creating and maintaining this relationship. It's sort of like the Holy Spirit is this mutual connection that we have and that Jesus also has, and it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring us together. And so here's how Paul describes the Spirit's work. He says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Did you catch what the Spirit does? The Holy Spirit is not simply a mutual friend who tries to introduce us in Jesus so that we too will be friends. No, the Holy Spirit is more like a social worker whose job it is to arrange adoptions. And so the Holy Spirit gets God the Father and Jesus God the Son and us all in the same room and we sit down at a table together so that he can make the adoption official. And so he takes out his pen and he dips it in the blood of Jesus, the price that needed to be paid for our adoption to be possible. And he writes out the details of the agreement, dots every I, crosses every T, and then sort of, sort of takes our hand and puts our signature on it for us, and, and it's final. Adopted into God's family, a brother of Jesus Christ and a child of God, our new Father in heaven. Here's why that's important. Imagine that you were friends with the child of somebody really important, somebody really wealthy. That would come with a few perks, right? Imagine you, you, you go to school with them, you play on the same sports team, and so you get to be really good friends, and you get invited over for the birthday parties and the sleepovers, and you even get to tag along on the family vacations, the whole nine yards. That would be really cool, right? That would be, that would be a fantastic thing that all of those benefits would come your way. But, but no, no matter how great that would be, there would always be a limit. There would be a line, a line of familiarity, a line of closeness that you just would never be able or, or really even want to cross over. 
And in fact, you would really know at any given time, something could happen, something could happen to destroy your friendship that would not only cause the, the friendship to dissolve, but then all of the benefits to go away. In contrast, Paul says that we are made brothers of Jesus and children of God, adopted into his family, which means that nothing we can do, no sin that we can commit, can possibly get us kicked out of the house. We know that our status as a member of God's family is secure. In fact, one of the ways that that closeness shows itself is in the way that we are able to address God now. Whatever we might be going through, whatever struggle we might have, it's not like we need to sort of premeditate what we're going to say to God. It's not like we need to come up with this this big plan or try to negotiate a, a bargain or an agreement with him. Paul says that we can just cry out. Whatever's on our mind, whatever we're struggling with, just blurt it out, unfiltered, uninhibited. We call out to him, Abba. That word that Paul uses, that Aramaic word, sort of really gets at the essence of what this new relationship with our Father in heaven is all about. It indicates that this relationship satisfies a very deep and instinctual need that is inside of us from the day that we're born. From the day that we're born, we long for, we desire, we even need someone who is going to be there for us no matter what. Someone who is going to love us unconditionally. Someone who is very strong and powerful, who has everything under control. Someone who will always keep us safe. Someone we can trust in entirely and who will never let us down. And at a very early age, when when we think we've found him, we call him Abba. Or depending on the language you speak, Dada, Papa, Baba, whatever it might be. That's what's better than even a really good friendship with Jesus. Being a brother of Jesus, being adopted as a child into God's family. That's what the Holy Spirit gives to us. And you know what that means, don't you? That means that you really owe him. You owe him big time. Here's what Paul says. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Ah, so there's a catch. You know it sounded too good to be true, right? All of a sudden we get the fine print, we get the strings attached, we have this this obligation. I kind of made it sound that way, didn't I? But that's not at all what Paul is saying. Think of it this way. Imagine you have two vehicles. For whatever reason, you you decide you're going to keep them both and try to maintain them both. And even as the one starts to have problems, you, you put a little time and a little bit of money into it and you're able to fix those problems and keep it running. But after enough time has passed, eventually the the one car is still completely reliable, running fine, and the other car is absolutely worthless. It's doing nothing more than leaving oil marks on your driveway. So someone comes to you to give you a little bit of advice, and they say, you know what, you need to invest in this car. You need to change the oil. You need to rotate the tires. You need to keep it in the garage so that it stays protected from the elements. But this car, you you just need to get rid of it. You need to stop wasting your time and wasting your money. You need to get it out of your life. 
Would you respond by saying, oh, what, a, what an obligation, what a burden you are placing on me. You're trying to control my life. You're trying to take away all of my freedom. No, of course not. And that's exactly what Paul is saying as he compares these two options, to, to either live as though we have an obligation to the Spirit who gives us this new relationship with God, or to live as though we have an obligation to our sinful flesh. When we live as though we have an obligation to our sinful flesh, when we, when we listen to its desires, when we pursue its desires, when we try to gratify its desires, the biggest tragedy in that is not simply that those things are sinful, although they certainly are. It's that trying to live as though we have an obligation to our sinful flesh is a pretty clear indication that there is something that we desire, something that we think we need, that we are convinced we cannot get from our Father in heaven. Our heart is crying out for something, and instead of turning to Abba, it's turning to wealth or recognition and popularity, or romance, or drugs, or alcohol, or whatever it might be. And the flip side of that is that the cure for that, the solution to that, is is not simply to double our resolve or summon up more willpower to try and resist those temptations. It's simply to realize that everything that our heart is longing for is available in full measure from our Father in heaven. Paul is saying that that those desires of your sinful flesh, they are like that car that belongs at the salvage yard. Stop wasting time. Stop wasting money on it. Get rid of it. It can bring you nothing, but everything that your heart longs for is supplied to you by your Father in heaven. But what about when it seems like it isn't? I mean, if being friends with Jesus would seem to come with a few perks. Certainly being brothers of Jesus would seem to come with a few perks, right? And yet so often in life it seems like it it doesn't. And yes, God is not promising us that being brothers with Jesus will keep our lives free from struggle or suffering. He's not promising that somehow our, our lives will be immune from all of the challenges that people go through in this life. But he is promising us something even better. Here's how Paul describes it. He says, If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. A good friend of someone who is, uh, of a child of someone who is very wealthy and very important will naturally have some of those blessings that that child receives sort of ricochet off of them and and fall into their laps, and that can be a, a wonderful thing. Paul says we have much more than that. We have become brothers of Jesus, and therefore we are also heirs. We have been written into the will. In fact, the very same inheritance that God prepared for Jesus, he has now prepared for us. That doesn't mean a life that bypasses struggle or a life that somehow gets around death, but it does mean a resurrection on the other side of death and a life of perfect paradise that never ends. And not only is that something that we get to look forward to, it is really the one and only thing that can help us with whatever we're struggling with right now. You know, another thing that makes this miracle that we heard about in today's gospel a little bit unique is when it occurs in Jesus' ministry, right at the very end. In fact, it's really the last miracle that Jesus performed before suffering and dying 
for the sins of the world. And so by talking about it today, just two weeks before Easter, it's, it's sort of occupying a similar place in our worship life as it did in the actual life of Jesus. So in the life of Jesus, you've got him raising Lazarus from the dead. A couple of days, maybe a few weeks after, he himself rises from the dead. In between, his suffering and death. So also for us, today we're, we're talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Two weeks from today, it's Easter Sunday. In between, Holy Week. Jesus' suffering and death. In the same way, in your life, you get adopted into God's family. One day, you're going to stand and receive your inheritance. And in between, well, you know better than anyone what comes in between. Because sin is in the world, death still has its day, but, but death's reign is over. Death is now just the, the tiniest of fractions of our existence. Death has been robbed of its power. Death is just a single drop in the ocean of eternity. Paul says it this way. He says, Our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So friends, as you struggle at times, as you suffer at times, even as you grieve and mourn and grit your teeth in the frustration that this world sometimes offers, we have the ability to also smile and confidently say, death, enjoy it while you can. Enjoy your moment in the sun. Enjoy your 15 minutes of fame. Because I am a child of God, I know that your days are numbered. And I know that mine, on the other hand, are not. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.